This was the Spanish flu of 1918, the deadliest pandemic of the 20th century. Epidemics have infected societies throughout history. Memories of the pandemic of 1918 loom over the current global battle against the coronavirus. And though it's too soon to say how comparable the current outbreak will be, there are lessons to be learned from that earlier time, as we hear from Martha Teichner. The outbreak is growing. More deaths, more cases as thousands of Americans begin to self-quarantine. Epidemics and pandemics have occurred countless times in the past. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. There is an old saying that says, study history, because if you don't know where you come from, then you don't know where you're going. If you don't know where you want to go, any road will take you there. A hundred years ago, there was an epidemic that plagued the entire world. Oh yes, it crept into the world and caught many by surprise. Victor Vahan, a surgeon general from the army said, if this epidemic continues at its mathematical rate of acceleration, civilization could easily disappear from the face of the earth within a few weeks. This was in 1918. The origin of the Spanish flu was unknown, however, it can be noted that while the Spanish flu was going on, World War I was also in effect. The first outbreak of the Spanish flu in the USA took place on a military base in Kansas City. Now, back to the war and the pandemic. Imagine. Imagine going through a pandemic in the middle of the war. Tragic. In fact, to shed light of the intensity of this era, a poet by the name of Josh Lee wrote, It stalked into a camp when the day was damp and chilly and cold, with a hand that was clammy and bony and bold, and its breath was icy and moldy and dank, and it killed so speedy and gloating greedy that it took away men from each company rank. Some common repercussions of the Spanish flu included blindness, nausea, drowsiness, and much, much more. According to doctors, the Spanish flu killed 15 million people worldwide. In 1919, the university closed. The death rate was very high. You'd be talking to somebody today, and in a couple of days they'd be dead. Mum caught the flu and uh, she was only sick a couple of days and she was taken to the temporary hospital where she died. What exactly is the Spanish flu, you might wonder? The Spanish flu was a deadly flu caused by H1N1 influenza virus. It lasted about two years. It was from 1918 to 1920. According to Dr. William C. Shell Jr., 500,000 Americans died from the Spanish flu. The people mostly affected by this flu was young, healthy adults anywhere from the ages of 20 to 50. 
According to the article, Medical Definition of Spanish Flu, the death generally happened quick and rapid. The victims who did not die immediately eventually died from the complications that the flu caused. According to Dr. Scheel, one of the complications was pneumonia. Back then, there was no vaccine to handle this potent, deadly virus. So one might ask, how in the world were they able to get this under control? What did they do? Well, according to the CDC, the way the Spanish flu was treated was through isolation, quarantine, good personal hygiene, use of disinfectants, and limited public gatherings. The Spanish flu lowered the life expectancy rate in the USA by 12 years, according to the CDC. Did you know, for decades, researchers and public health experts were puzzled as to how the Spanish flu developed and many other questions. However, the small piece of evidence left was within a small village in Alaska called Berug Mission. There are many different theories as to how the virus reached the village, but in five days from November 15th through the 20th, 72 out of the 80 natives were victims to the flu and ended up passing away. This was in 1918, of course. Fast forward a few years. In 1951, a microbiologist by the name of Jahan Houghton took a visit to the village of the natives to discover more info. According to CDC, Hutland believed that within that preserved burial grounds, he might still find traces of the 1918 virus itself frozen in time within the tissues of the villagers whose lives it had claimed. After digging up burials from the Alaskan native village, he came across the body of a little girl. With the little girl's body, he was able to obtain her lung tissues from her and four other bodies. Wow. Years later, he talked with microbiologist Dr. Terence Tumphrey and explained that he was forced to take up multiple trips and during the trips, he would refreeze the lungs with carbon dioxide. Stay with me. Keep in mind, the purpose of him doing this was to see that he could find evidence of the Spanish flu. Furthermore, once Halton got Back to Iowa, he attempted to inject the lung tissues into chicken eggs to get the virus to grow. The results were unsuccessful, and the Spanish flu virus did not grow. According to the CDC, he did not give up. In fact, 46 years later, in 1997, Hilton gained another opportunity to pursue the 1918 virus. Hewling gained his inspiration from a journal article written by molecular pathologist Dr. Tallenberg titled Initial Genetic Characterization of the 1918. In this article, Dr. Tallenberger talked about his own studies about the Spanish flu virus. He too wanted to discover the mysteries of this virus. He wanted to sequence part of the genome. For those who don't know, a genome is simply part of the genetic instructions which make up an organism. 
Furthermore, the genome of an influenza virus, which basically the flu, the Spanish flu was, essentially consists of a single stranded RNA instead of DNA. What does this have to do with anything? Well, I will tell you. The molecular pathologist who wanted to discover new things about the Spanish flu was able to extract RNA of the Spanish flu from a 20-year-old male who, who received a diagnosis of influenza infection and pneumonia. Within six days, he was dead. However, molecular pathologists took his lung tissue and as a result, him and his team were able to sequence nine fragments of viral RNA from four of the virus eight gene segments. Do you know how spectacular that is? Although it did not solve the entire mystery of this 1918 virus, it did, however, provide a better understanding of the virus than ever before. It was in this moment that him and his team were able to determine that the Spanish flu, also known as the 1918 virus, was a novel influenza A H1N1 virus, of which belonged to a subgroup of viruses that came from humans and pigs, as opposed to birds. Really? Yes, really. In fact, during the actual time of the outbreak, many rumors surfaced that the virus came from birds, while others were led to believe that the virus came from Kansas City in a farm. There was so much in misinformation that people kind of went crazy. In fact, because of World War I, most countries were not allowed to tell the truth about the severity of the epidemic in their country. In fact, most countries, including the USA, were censored as far as the press goes. The only country who did not become censored in the press was, guess who? It was Spain. In fact, because of their neutrality in the war, they were allowed to tell the truth and nothing but the truth about the deadly Spanish flu. In fact, because Spain was so open about the flu, many people tried to put the blame on them for the reason that it spread. <laughs> to further enlighten you on this interesting Spanish flu, during this time period of war and deadly epidemics, 25% of doctors and nurses were in the military. Because of the fact that no country truly wanted another country to know the truth about the severity of their country's suffering, the media put out half-truths, half-stories, and simply sugarcoated the entire thing. It was so under plague. Then, a Chicago public official said, Worry kills more people than the disease itself. Other quotes were, Don't get scared, and the so-called Spanish influenza is nothing more or less than old-fashioned grip. Finally, after putting out half-truths and false hope, one newspaper reported Porter put out, Imagine your spouse lying dead in bed for six to eight days. There were coffin shortages the dead were piled up where they died the police going around asking people to bring out the dead the american people did receive help however in fact one prominent group that played a significant role in the in this was the red cross in fact at this time the red cross would actually beg that people would come out and volunteer
This, according to the CDC, was the Red Cross's golden age. In fact, popular advertisements were put out stating the safety of this country demands that all patriotic available nurses, nurses aides, or anyone with experience in nursing place themselves at once under the disposal of the government. Graduate nurses, undergraduate nurses, aides, and volunteers are urged to telegraph, collect at once to their local Red Cross chapter or Red Cross headquarters, Washington, D.C. One might wonder... How did the Spanish flu infect pregnant women? In the journal, in the journal article titled Pandemic Influenza Past, Present, and Future, it is stated that pregnant women did die in larger numbers. In fact, maternal mortality rates reached an all-time high in 1918. In fact, one in 1,000 pregnant women were dying. That is a lot. Let's talk about healthcare workers. How were healthcare workers affected during the Spanish flu? Over 50% of healthcare workers died during the Spanish flu, according to the article Pandemic Influenza. During this time, there have been many stories of families who literally witnessed their brother in the middle of the floor dead because of the Spanish flu. Very traumatizing. If you are still listening, make sure you are following at Melanin and Healthcare on Instagram. Now, let's compare the Spanish flu to COVID-19. According to the CDC, COVID-19 spreads faster than the Spanish flu and it causes more serious illnesses in many people. Another strikingly difference is that the there is a vaccine to help with COVID-19. Back in the days of the Spanish flu, there was no vaccine to help protect one from catching it. The signs and symptoms of COVID-19 in the Spanish flu are relatively the same. In fact, common symptoms of both include fever, cough, shortness of breath, or difficulty breathing, fatigue, sore throat, runny or stuffy nose, muscle pain or body aches, headaches, and even vomiting and diarrhea. One of the main differences is that the 1918 virus caused mild illnesses. Another similarity between the two is that it is highly contagious. One difference of the COVID-19 and Spanish flu is that for COVID-19, symptoms may or may not show up immediately, whereas the Spanish flu, the symptoms came immediately. Also, both COVID-19 and the Spanish flu spreads from person to person. Both COVID-19 and Spanish flu can lead to further complications such as pneumonia, respiratory failure, acute respiratory distress syndrome, cardiac injury, organ failure, inflammation in the heart, worsening or already existing medical conditions. Once again, those who do not know history are what? Doomed to repeat it. One strikingly difference between the flu and the COVID-19 pandemic is that sometimes people would actually recover in a few days, according to the CDC. 
Why do we need to learn about the Spanish flu? Because to understand current and future pandemics, you must know the past of them so that we can understand how to keep them in control. Let's go back further to a few other plagues in history, and then we can talk about how they compare to COVID-19. According to Owen Jarvis, there have been many, many plagues, but the top 10 plagues in the world are number one, the prehistoric epidemic in Circa, which took place 3000 BC. Oh my God. Oh yes. In fact, this plague was said to have wiped an entire population of a prehistoric village in China. People of all ages were dying. Did you know there is a historical archaeological site dedicated to the victims called Hamen Maga? In fact, it happened so quickly that there were no time for burial sites. Number two, the Plague of Athens, which took place in 430 BC. Just like the Spanish flu, this epidemic took place during a war. Actually, right after the war, this plague began taking people out by the thousands. Hide your kids, hide your wife, because this plague is taking them out with strife. The estimated deaths was 100,000 people. The healthiest of the healthy were immediately taken out. Some scientists would describe the plague of Athens very similar to the Ebola outbreak. In fact, the Greek historian Thucydides described the plague by saying, "People in good health of all of people in good health all of a sudden attacked by violent hearts in the head and redness and inflammation in the eyes. This is why it is similar in the lines of Ebola." Number three, the Antony Plague, which took place A.D. 165 through 180. Just like the Spanish flu, the Antonique Plague took place during war. To further confirm this, it is stated that after the soldiers returned to the Roman Empire, they brought back a heavy disease. Scientists have often said that the Antonique Plague may have actually been small, Pox disease, over 5 million dead. Number four, the Plague of Syrian, which took place A.D. 250 through 271. This plague was actually named after a bishop in Carthage who thought the plague was a symbol of the end of the world. What? What? Yes, there was so much drama and mystery around this plague that curious and nosy archaeologists dug up a burial site of what was thought to be the victims to this horrible plague. What did they find? You might wonder. Archaeologists found three killings used to manufacture lime and the remains of plague victims burned in a giant bonfire. No way, buddy boy! The cause of this pandemic was also unknown, but it was one of the largest in history thus far. 
Number five, the plague of Justinian, which took place in A.D. 541 through 542. This popular plague is also known as the bubonic plague. The origin of this plague lies in the Byzantine Empire. In fact, the plague was the beginning of the end of them. Oh yes, oh yes. Did you know 50% of the world's population died as a result of this horrible plague? Mothers and daughters were crying. Little innocent babies were crying and dying at an all-time high. And it was madness everywhere. It took place from the Middle East to Eastern Europe. Woof. Did you know that this plague spread to Europe, Asia, North Africa, and the Arabia? This is actually said to be the deadliest plague in the entire history of the world. It was a scary time. Number six, the Black Death, which took place from 1346 to 1353. This plague traveled from Asia to Europe. It actually wiped out half of Europe's entire population. The cause of the Black Death is very clear. It was caused by a strain of the bacterium Yersinia pedis that is actually extinct today and was spread by fleas on infected rodents. This disgusting deadly plague changed the entire history of Europe. Mental trauma was at an all-time high. It was scary. Millions were unaware if they were going to make it out alive. How would they know? This plague never went away, according to scientists. This plague came back 800 years later. This made millions panic and go into a frenzy. Number seven, the Kolitsi epidemic, which took place in 1545 to 1548. This plague took place in Mexico and Central America. This epidemic was caused by a viral hemorrhage fever that caused and killed million, millions of people, 15 million to be exact. Scientists have found that the victims were infected with a subspecies of salmonella known as S. parathepc. As a result, it caused enteric fever. For those who don't know, enteric fever causes high fever, dehydration, and gastrointestinal problems. Remember, those who don't know history are what's doomed to repeat it. Number eight, the Great American Plague, which took place all throughout the 16th century. They were back to back. This happened as a result of European settlement into the Americas. The big illness included smallpox, which resulted as one of the major downfalls of the natives and the Incas and Aztecs, tragic. 90% of the indigenous population was killed off. Number nine, the Great Plague of London, which wasn't so great, by the way. It took place in 19, oh no, 1665 through 1666. One of the main causes of this plague was that the fleas from the plague infested rodents, which led to person-to-person -person transmission. 15% of London's population were dead. Over a hundred people, thousand people were said to have died.
Number 10, the Great Plague of Marcielli, which took place in 1720 to 1723 once again. This plague was also caused by rodents and fleas. It spread quickly because of a ship called Grand Saint Antoinette, which docked in Marseille, France, that spread like wildfire to the general public. Over 100,000 people died, which concluded 30% of the population. And I know I said 10, but let's go to 11. Number 11, last but not least, Philadelphia Yellow Fever Epidemic, which took place in 1793. <laughs> this disease began with mosquitoes at the time. People thought that the slaves were immune to this disease. And as a result, the Africans who were enslaved were forced to take care of the sick. This pandemic ended when mosquitoes died out, but by that time, 5,000 people were already dead. One might ask, how do these all compare to COVID-19? Why did you bring up all 11 epidemics? Why? Well, number one, they compared to COVID-19 because they were all unexpected and people had not prepared for them. Number two, Thousands of families were impacted on an emotional and financial level. Number three, fear was a general response to the entire situation. Number four, they lasted for a long time, but they did not last forever. Number five, the world is not coming to an end, as many people believed. We will all get through this together. What can other pandemics teach us about the current pandemic we are living in? Number one, take it serious. People's lives are at risk. Thousands of healthcare workers have died and many have thought about switching careers because of the stress and strain that it's putting out on their body. Number two, Respect people's personal space. Try to remain six feet apart if you can help it. And number three, listen to the health cares and doctors. They have spent countless years helping us. It is our time to help them by staying inside, wearing a mask and doing our part. <laughs> It is important to note that pandemics do generally happen every 50 to 100 years. Every century has had one. Now, let's discuss common terminology of the COVID-19 pandemic. Number one, SARS-CoV-2 or SARS-CoV-2. What is this? This is the scientific name for the strain of the virus that causes the COVID-19 infection. Number two, Moderna and Pfizer. What are these? These are the two vaccines that are currently out to the general public. In fact, for more information about that, visit our last episode where we discuss in depth the differences between the vaccines. Fun fact about the two vaccines, both of them have a 95% success rate, so don't be alarmed. And number three, mRNA. mRNA, in terms of the vaccine, simply talks about what was used to create the vaccine. 
mRNA has been around for more than 25 years and is now being used in vaccines. In fact, mRNA vaccines were carried out for Zika and rabies. What is the difference between Moderna and Pfizer vaccine? Well, according to the CDC, the Pfizer vaccine is 95% effective while the Moderna is 94.5% effective. Not that it makes much of a huge difference, right? The Pfizer vaccines contains 30 MCG doses and it is given 21 days apart. Meaning, this shot is taken into two phases. On the other hand, Moderna has a dosage of 100 MCG given 28 days apart. Meaning, this shot is also taken into two phases. The Pfizer is great for individuals over the age of 16, while the Moderna is good for individuals over the age of 18. Both vaccines have made it to phase 3. For more information about the different phases, check out our last episode. What was the purpose of looking into the history of other plagues and pandemics? Because, as I've said in the beginning, you must know history so you're not doomed to repeat it. Be safe. We are all in this together. By the way, all of our sources to this episode are already in the link on Instagram, so be sure to check those out if you're still a little more curious. Before we go, make sure you are following at Melanin and Healthcare on Instagram and stay tuned for our future YouTube channel. Thank you for making it to the end. For more education, inspiration, and representation, stay tuned for episode number five.